Crypto curious, keep an open mind, enjoy the conversation, and stay cryptocurrent. Now, here's your host, Richard Carthon. Today's episode is brought to you by Sublime Finance. Sublime lets borrowers access capital efficient loans by leveraging their reputation. There's a borrow pool where you can access capital from lenders at a large via pools. Borrowers set the terms of the financing, collateral ratios, interest rates, and more. You can set up private credit lines without revealing your identity as well. For more information, go to sublime.finance. Again, that's sublime.finance. And now for today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cryptocurrent, your host here, Richard Carthon. And today I have a special guest all the way out in India working on a a project that you need to learn more about figure out how you can continue to evolve your finances using Web3. We have Retik with Sublime Finance. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you, Richard? Uh, man, I'm great. Crypto is booming at the time of this recording. So, you know, <laughs> ETH had new all-time highs. It's happy in Cryptoverse right now. And um, I'm hoping that we keep chugging in the, this glorious direction, but we'll see. But want to learn more about you. Can you give us some background on yourself? I've been involved in crypto and DeFi in general for the past one year or so. And most of it has been just thinking about credit and lending in general. So before that, my primary background actually happens to be in machine learning, uh, more specifically machine learning research within healthcare and AI. So what I used to do was generate synthetic data sets and also sort of study aspects of privacy preservation, fairness, causality, etc. within the healthcare system. So in many ways, healthcare shows similarity to the idea of credit itself because a lot of it in the recent times has been just data driven. So like there's a bunch of people just trying to get in as much data as they can and trying to build models on top of it. So there's similarities over there. And on the other hand, there's also aspects that similar aspects or problems that we're starting to see in both of these domains. So there's issues of privacy for sure. Then there's also issues of fairness and bias. So how are the models that we're sort of building on top of these data sets? How are they actually affecting the outcomes, which in turn feed into our models once again? So that's kind of my brief introduction. Apart from that, I've also been involved in open source development for quite some time. In my undergrad years, I was actually one of the maintainers for an open source Python package. What it basically did was it was used for causal inference. So it's like a very niche subject within computer science. But yeah, that's the background. Yeah. Now, that's a really interesting background, um, especially myself having some background in, in healthcare as well. The importance of credit and also, like you said, data is king and healthcare is constantly trying to find the best data so they can try to figure out all types of information and edges up they can have on competition and just understanding potential patients as well. And then you kind of brought up the whole point of ethical, uh, you know, like it really starts to get a little fishy the more that you look into it. But kind of just crossing over into the world of crypto, like you said, you've been in it for a year. You see how you can take some of the, the AI and the data sets and start to apply it into what is now going on in this space. So tell us, how did you recognize that opportunity? And then like, how did you then try to turn that into a company which is now Sublime Finance? My experiences with like health data within the healthcare sector in general have sort of led me to form the opinion that we are sort of 
early in the early stages of actually starting to build any kind of data driven systems within defi so primarily in the traditional fintech sense uh, a lot of users that are currently using all of these crypto projects they'll fall under this category of thin file users so like they almost always tend to be priced out from l1s they are typically just interacting with a few major protocols and have very few transactions in general you start to see the same kind of biases that get picked up with any other kind of data driven systems as well so what usually happens is that you start to favor more towards people who have a lot of data so that you can build good credit reports out of them in the current scenario it will probably be some institutions and power users who are like continuously using these who can actually transact on ethereum continuously and then that turns into a vicious cycle in and of itself so once you start assigning good credit scores to the power users and bad credit scores to the normal users that means that the power users cannot start accessing credit even more that means they can start transacting even more uh, compared to the average users that becomes a cycle of its own because of which the gap tends to increase and that's something that we noticed with other sectors of data driven areas as well like healthcare for instance in some sense data also tends to be a limiting factor because it just then depends on how much information you're able to gather about different users right like traditional banks for example are not like evil corporations that want to lock people out of access to credit it's just that they simply aren't able to gather enough data about you so if you're not using a bank at all then any credit bureau won't be able to build any kind of credit reports on you what we've seen happening in the traditional fintech world is like people are taking these different verticals of data sources so like whether it's mobile data whether it's your college education background and they've been building these siloed versions of credit scoring within that specific sector but as i mentioned so these inherent disadvantages to that and that's also the reason why a lot of companies in the past 20 years have also been fiddling around with the idea of peer to peer based lending right so peer to peer in some sense has historically been how credit has worked so like initially you would probably like lend out to your friends and family members and that slowly grew to your community members your local village level for example and you had these mutual lending clubs lending societies where people will exchange credit information so that's really been the idea of peer to peer lending in general it tends to be more inclusive but obviously there is downside to it as well so like the borrowing capacity is typically lower for any peer to peer network right so you might be able to borrow $100,000 from a bank but from your friends and families you'll probably only be able to borrow 10k for example so there's definitely trade offs when you're using p2p networks as well in some sense there were a lot of different p2p companies in the past 20 years that tried to do this online but they simply couldn't do it so and for a variety of reasons so lending club funding circle i think zopa so all of these are examples of web based p2p companies that eventually end up turning into banks themselves and there's a host of reasons for why it tends to be difficult to build p2p models in normal web it's hard to integrate any kind of social layers first of all whereas off chain offline p2p actually depends on social capital so it depends on relationships between humans so that's almost impossible with an online web 2.0 system and then there's some other regulations and privacy concerns as well so like many p2p companies can't start accepting deposits on, until they have any kind of banking licenses for example there's a lot there's of a, there's um, there's definitely a lot of hurdles and sorry to interject real quick but there's there's three things i want to unpack with that so the first is that there's not necessarily enough data sets within defi uh to really have data driven decisions just because there isn't enough 
background on people, especially in this decentralized world and semi-anonymy, not really understanding past history, et cetera, on credit utilization. The second is then how do you do this in a true peer-to-peer lending situation where you don't have as much access, you typically can't be lent as much money. You said something interesting, which is a lot of these P2P personal lending are, are, are sending to each other, ultimately end up becoming a bank. And the first example that came to my head was Venmo. I first got on Venmo, I loved it. And then all of a sudden, they truly became like a bank. And now they're trying to charge interest and all this other kind of stuff when you like are using their platform. So it's interesting that they all slowly become a bank. And it's it like history really does repeat itself in that capacity. But now you're kind of shifting into like where we currently are is like, now, how do you turn, you know, this type of lending into more of a social experience to where the greater world can come in, utilize the platform and still have it be a social event instead of it truly being like, hey, I'm going to deal with this bank. There's also like good reasons for why those companies need to turn into a bank eventually, right? So typically what happens is that there's always excess supply for money than there is actual demand. So there's almost always not going to be enough borrowers that can actually start earning, that can actually borrow from these kind of companies. So they start to need, they need to start providing extra products or like build extra stuff to actually keep lenders' money within their platform itself. Otherwise, they're not going to stay over there forever. So there's definitely like legitimate reasons for why those companies need to turn into banks. But on the other hand, within Web3, like we're seeing alternate versions of what could be possible, right? So for example, one of the things that we did with while building Sublime is like thinking through what will happen with your money when you're not actively finding any borrowers you want to lend money to on Sublime. So we have integrations with Compound, Aave, and a bunch of other like passive yield generators so that if you don't find anyone attractive, like you don't find a particular borrower you want to lend money to, then your money can like directly be transferred to Compound or Aave to keep on earning, you know, like quote unquote riskless yield. So that's kind of one of the innovations that DeFi has come up with in terms of like these composability of different protocols. On the other hand, like we're also seeing the formation of different kinds of reputation networks within DeFi itself, right? So for example, in traditional finance, there's a lot of privacy laws um, that actually prevent users, that prevent companies from sharing a lot of data. So if you go to Prosper, for example, which is one of the P2P lenders, online P2P lenders, they have a bunch of different loan listings on the platform, but all of them are anonymized. So you'll see some minimum, bare minimum data. So like what the loan is for. So maybe it's a home loan, for example. You'll see the credit rating that Prosper has provided to them and some other terms of the loan itself. But within DeFi, we are sort of seeing the emergence of like all of these privacy preserving features naturally, right? So pseudonymity, for example, is a huge thing within DeFi. So like you might not know who's sitting behind a particular NFT avatar, but you can still assign some credibility and reputation to them. On the other hand, like there's the entire zero knowledge proof things that's going to come in the future that's going to even boost what you can do without actually doxing people in some sense. So there's a lot of things that actually come together quite well within the DeFi ecosystem that like we personally think are very important to build a true P2P platform. Definitely. As the world is moving more to the metaverse and thinking about, you know, the big Facebook announcement and now if you're seeing a lot of these metaverse uh, cryptos projects that are out here that are booming because of it and thriving and the fact that you, like you said, you can start to track with these avatars, these NFTs and being able to like go across different metaverses and still have some sort of identity across them all could be very beneficial as you go from each one and still need some access to finances within each of those worlds, those metaverses, if you will. So just break it down for for your brand new person who's like, okay, 
what is Sublime Finance? What are you accomplishing? How can I use it in my everyday life? Hey, Cryptocurrent crew, this is Steve Miller, and I'm the host of CC Live, the show that keeps you up to date with what's popping off in crypto land. Every episode of CC Live brings you the latest news, keeps you updated on the top projects, and decrypts everything you need to know to get ahead in the wild world of Web3. So if you really want to stay Cryptocurrent, join Richard, Chris, and I every Tuesday and Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on YouTube Live. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to Cryptocurrent's YouTube channel today, and as always, stay Cryptocurrent. So with Sublime, we are trying to do three main things. The first thing we are trying to do is build the infrastructure for taking out loans. So we have four primitives that we're building within ourselves. So there's the entire verification aspect. So we allow users to start attaching their wallet addresses with different identities. Second sort of subdivided into two parts is how the loans actually take place. So we have two different ways in which loans can take place on Sublime. So there's pool-based lending in which a single borrower uh, creates a term sheet in some sense. So like they set up all of the different parameters of the pool itself. So what they want to borrow, how much they want to borrow, the uh, maturity date, collateral ratio, etc. And then multiple lenders can come in and satisfy the single loan request. So for example, if someone wants to borrow 10,000 USDC, I can just supply 1,000 USDC out of the entire 10,000 amount. So that's the first pool-based lending structure. The second is credit lines. Credit lines are quite different in terms of how loans work. So they don't have any end terms. As long as neither party actually closes the credit line, it can stay active. And the borrower can essentially keep on removing or like drawing capital from the lender's savings account and repaying it over time, as long as they maintain some collateral requirements that was set during the credit line creation. And then we also have our own savings account feature, which sort of has these passive strategy integrations. So that's the first thing that we're trying to do. So building out the infrastructure. The second thing we're trying to do is enable users to start building out their on-chain credit record. Naturally, not everyone is going to start off with perfect credit history. So there's going to be some who will have enough reputation to start borrowing under collateralized, whereas some will still have to start out over collateralized, build their reputation over time by showing that they're repaying their loans on time. And then eventually they'll be able to start borrowing under collateralized. So one particular aspect about that's different about Sublime in general is like loans on Sublime can also be under collateralized. In general, within DeFi, there's been just two alternatives. So like these either over collateralized loans or uncollateralized loans, which is what TrueFi does to some extent. And real quick, just so I can break that down for people who don't necessarily understand that. So um, over collateralized loans means, let's say I put in one ETH and in return, they're going to give me half an ETH worth of liquidity that I can go use. And then whenever I pay that back, plus a little bit of interest, I get my one ETH back and I, I keep moving. Uncollateralized means, hey, I don't have to put anything up. You're just going to give this to me, but I have to pay a higher premium on the amount that I get back. So I just wanted to clarify that. Right. And semi-collateralized or under-collateralized is somewhere in between. So you don't necessarily have to put in zero collateral. You can just put in 50% or 60% collateralized loans as well. The second thing we're trying to do is build these kind of on-chain credit histories. The third more longer-term goal for us is to eventually aggregate the credit records for, so in some sense, build out credit scores in some sense by aggregating the data that we collect from a bunch of other users. So like, for example, if I as a borrower have a bunch of other trusted individuals who say that Rithik is a good borrower, then what does that say about my aggregate credit score? So you can think of it in some sense as a social graph, right, in which there's a bunch of users who start assigning 
risk or credit scores or trust scores to other people, then how do you actually move capital between this graph in the most optimal way? So let's say I'm connected to you and you're connected to someone else. Then how should capital move from me to that third person whenever they are in need of some loans and you might not have any capital with you at that time? Building out this sort of aggregate model is also something that's in our longer term plans. That's great. I mean, those are three really, really necessary tools. And I think what's going to be interesting is it sounds like y'all are trying to become like the credit bureau of the DeFi world, right? So you're basically creating a model to where users will be able to identify themselves as trustworthy creditors so they can get a line of credit to be able to go and get more access to even more funding instead of kind of like, you know, right now in the world of DeFi, you're kind of just guessing and and hoping like, because most are collateralized. So if you don't even have the money in the first place, you're not even going to get the loan, but this is going to allow some more unique tools for people to have access to funding. Yeah. In some sense, we actually see ourselves as decentralizing the credit risk itself. So like the credit risk assessment itself. So within this social graph that I was talking about, there's different kinds of stakeholders, right? There's retail borrowers, there's, there's also going to be institutions and there's DAOs themselves who can borrow for any kind of treasury management practices. Within these DAOs are community members of their own. And so now you naturally have the question of once you have the DAO borrowing from other users, this DAO itself can now start lending capital to its own community members. And in some sense, Within this DAO, there's going to be better assessment of who is how of the credit worthiness of each other than someone outside of this DAO being able to do so. In some sense, we are just decentralizing it to stakeholders in sort of their own local levels and then building aggregates out of it by going and sort of seeing through what people are assigning amongst each other or like entities are assigning amongst each other. Right. It's going to be very helpful. Just thinking about the greater crypto world right now and last uh, 2020 was DeFi summer and it's evolved a lot. Now you have other elements that are coming in place like NFTs, metaverse, et cetera. But DeFi is going to, I think, help fuel a lot of these different entities as they continue to come into play. And one of the quickest ways to be able to have the access to funding to continue to get into some of these different projects is through being able to borrow against your crypto. So as you look at like where the entire crypto industry is sort of headed, where do you think are going to be some of the biggest opportunities in this space, let's say over the next two, three years? I think NFTs is definitely a very interesting area, especially because it's something that's found mainstream appeal. So like a lot of what we're doing in DeFi currently is still infrastructure building. So like naturally not a lot of people are actually interested in that. For a lot of mainstream users, what matters is the end user experience. And currently in DeFi, the user experience is actually one of the missing factors. So we're definitely going to see a lot of socialization aspects in terms of DAOs and NFTs gaining a lot more mainstream appeal. And over time, I think we're also going to see improvements of user experiences. But yeah, I think that's still, I mean, in my opinion, that's probably still going to take some time. Right. Agreed. And as this continues to be developed out, how do we get to mass adoption? It's going to be anybody can pick this up and immediately understand how it's being used, how everything in the background is working for it to work, but is able to pick up, have a quick interface that is very user friendly, can do everything that they need to. And without them really having to, again, understand all the finer details of DeFi. Because right now, as you know, to get into the world of DeFi, there are a lot of steps to be able to do it. And the more steps we can eliminate, the faster we are to getting even more people in, which means more liquidity, which ultimately makes everyone happy in this space. But 
man, you've been in the space for a while and I'm sure you've learned a plethora of insights, knowledge. And I know you've been in the world of crypto for about a year or so, but even just taking all the knowledge that you have right now and can impart wisdom to yourself when you just first got started into your career and as you were learning everything, like what are one to two pieces of wisdom you would tell yourself? Yeah, I'm probably too green to actually start giving myself advice. But so my initial sort of exposure to this entire ecosystem was actually through just normal sort of knowledge about blockchains itself. So within during my undergrad years, itself, there's a bunch of different research articles that were looking into using blockchains to actually share medical data between different hospitals. So that's where I initially picked up blockchains in general. But over there as well, there was sort of a lot of skepticism, both which I personally had as well as what the entire community, the research community in general also had, because there were certain aspects to it, which we really didn't see scaling up. So there was a lot of skepticism around blockchains back in the day. And that's also something that I had when I started getting into DeFi. But rather than giving myself that opinion, if there's some opinion I'd like to give to people who are just getting into DeFi, just starting to hear about crypto, is that there's a lot more to DeFi than the prices of dog tokens that a lot of people associate crypto with. People think about crypto as just being prices moving without actual utility or anything being built. But there's a lot more to that that I wish people looked into deeper. Yeah. So it's just a good reminder that before you dive in, don't just look at the pricing, look at what's being built and look at what has substance and it should help bring you further. I like to give an example because this is the latest one in the news, the Squid Games rug pull for people who got unfortunately involved in that. Before you just go and ape into a project, it's really good to look at what's being built, what are they actually trying to accomplish, and does it have utility? You should have your own list of things that you look for before you just absolutely just put money into something. Then you hopefully will be able to avoid some of these scam coins that are out there and will continue to exist. They're going to be more in the future. So you got to keep finding ways to protect yourself. But as we kind of wrap up here, man, what is a final thought that you want to leave with all the listeners here today? One final thought that I like to leave people around with us to just start exploring and get a deeper, getting deeper into DeFi in general. So like one of the strong aspects of DeFi is the entire sense of community amongst a bunch of different users and within protocols itself. Twitter is probably one of the initial first steps that people take, but there's the whole new ecosystem of like people just interacting with each other in Discord as well. So like each one of these protocols have their own Discord channels and you often end up meeting up the same set of people in different channels. And they are the ones who will probably give you the most amount of information and are probably going to be the most helpful for you to start to getting started in general. What I'd suggest to people is to just get a bit more curious about what you're building in crypto and DeFi and then just start diving in in some sense. Excellent. Great final thought. Thank you for sharing that. For everyone that wants to connect with you and learn more about Sublime Finance, where can they find additional information? So sublime.finance is our website. So that's probably the best place to start. And I think we also have our Twitter and other social media over there. So. Perfect. Well, Ritik, really appreciate you spending some time with us today. And of course, for everyone listening, stay CryptoCurrent. Hey, CryptoCurrent crew. We want to give a quick shout out to all of our faithful listeners out there. It's been an amazing journey and we really appreciate your support throughout the years as we've been growing as a community. Each episode, we decided that we would start sharing some of the reviews that you were leaving for us. For today, we would like to share this review. Today's review comes from jbauer underscore crypto. Amazing podcast for both beginners in the crypto world or if you are a seasoned veteran. Learn so much from this podcast and Richard's awesome questions. 
We sincerely appreciate this review and all reviews and would like to ask that if you're enjoying our show, please take a quick moment to go and leave a review on our podcast so that hopefully we can be highlighting your review next. Simply go to our show notes or go to our website where we have a link where you can share your review today. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information on today's episode and all of our episodes, please visit us at www.crypto-current.co. You can also find a link in the show notes. Want to stay up to date in the latest news in cryptocurrency? Sign up for our newsletter today. You'll receive daily emails Monday through Friday that are personalized and curated content specific to you and your interest, powered by artificial intelligence. You can either go to our show notes or go to our website to sign up today. Are you an accredited investor looking to invest in cryptocurrency? Crescent City Capital can help. Go to crescentcitycapital.com for more information. I don't know if you've noticed, but the quality of our podcast each week are improving. I can only thank my amazing producer, Andrew DeRitter with DeRitter Productions, who has been putting all of this together. If you have any podcast, music, or audio needs, please go to DeRitterProductions.com. That's D-E-R-I-T-T-E-R Productions.com. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Cryptocurrent with Richard Carthon. We'll be back with more exciting developments from the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency next week. But until then, stay cryptocurrent. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cryptocurrent. Just one quick reminder. Cryptocurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the Cryptocurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrent production is exclusively for informational purposes.